Hi, welcome to the Noisy Golfer. This is episode four of the Noisy Golf podcast brought to you by Noisy Golf. Um, we are absolutely delighted to have with us a very, very special guest today, somebody that we've recently got to know through the Tommy Fleetwood Tour. And that's Norman Marshall, who is in charge of the uh, Tommy Fleetwood Academy at Formby Hall. Uh, and also uh, Tommy Fleetwood himself is his first junior coach. How are you doing, Norman? You okay? I'm doing great. Thanks for that intro. I like the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to pick you up. And as I say, we've got to know you recently through uh, through the Tommy Fleetwood Tour, through obviously Isaac playing the first two events. And he's, he's obviously looking forward to the to the third event coming up. Um, really, what we wanted to talk about was was a number of things, really, you know, considering your background, who you've been coaching, how the how the academy came about. But I think more importantly, um, we, really what we wanted to sort of start start off with was your sort of journey into golf and um you know how how it all began and then really to sort of you know talk in a little bit more detail about you know the Tommy Fleetwood Academy and the tour and and, and Tommy Fleetwood himself as well. Oh well I'm really glad you asked me because <laughs> I actually drove drove home tonight and had to go slightly out of my way the long way around to drive past where my golf journey began, okay. which is itself, but municipal, yeah. So it, it resonates uh, very, very deeply with me. But my my golf journey began, um, my dad was from Southport and my mum was from um, Scotland and they met in the RAF. So I was born in Dundee. Okay. And um, my dad started to play golf there. But uh, Dundee was quite a tough, gritty city. And my dad thought my life prospects would be better back in Southport. And uh, we come from a very humble background. And he actually sold his clubs to afford <laughs> to be able to move back down. Oh, well. So by the time, yeah, by the time uh, I was 10, 10, just 11, uh, he'd got back on his feet and he decided to start golf again. And... Um, that was the start of my journey into golf. He, he started golf and I said to him, can I come and play golf? I think it was a bit of, um, he worked at British Leyland, something that the, the lads did together. And he, he brought um, a set of clubs home for me and a brown vinyl bag. There was about three clubs in, they were well battered. I still remember them, Chichi Rodriguez. <laughs> and uh, that was my start into golf. But my dad did say to me, set the bar high. He said, uh, you need to be able to hit, them, hit the ball 100 yards before you can come on the course. So that was my very first start into golf. I was like football mad, but this golf just, uh, it grabbed me instantly. Well, that, that week of thrashing balls, trying to get a ball to go 100 yards, you know, sheer exhaustion, hands covered in blisters and uh, almost an exhaustion and exasperation, I gently hit one. I connected just right and I thought I've been trying too hard for a week and the ball <laughs> took off. And my dad took me to a football field for the official measure off in Southport now where the hospital's been built. He paced out 100 yards and uh, I teed up the ball and I hit it and it went over his head. And uh, I don't know if he was astonished or slightly disappointed, but that was it. He never got to play golf. He never got to play golf with his mates again. It was me along all the way. Oh, fantastic. Oh, it's, what it, a great memory. I know, it's, it's amazing though. Like one of the earliest blogs that we had um, when we launched Noisy Golf was that, that first feeling that you get. Like I, like my dad came 
from a home from a factory here that was interested in golf when I was 10. And he came back with this secondhand set. It was a thick, proper, heavy black Dunlop bag. And it had it had a seven iron in it, a three, a three iron, a four like proper timber woods as well. It had a four wood with the plate missing, the metal plate missing at the bottom. And there was a driver with loads of tape around the around the shaft and the neck uh, at the club. And I remember it like it was yesterday. The smell, the feeling of the grip, you, you, it instantly takes you back, that first experience. And it sort of makes you wonder now, you know, with the equipment that's available to kids, you know, their experience is obviously quite different when you consider the equipment's available compared to, you know, decades gone by, so to speak. A hundred, a hundred percent, and I think probably that there is something missing in the development of kids with that. I was, I was just like you, you know, getting my mum's uh, Mister Sheen and polishing this yeah. mercilessly <laughs> battered. My wood was plastic; it was, it was a plastic wood made to look okay. like wood. But I kept polishing it, but I couldn't polish the dints <coughs> out of it. But just with those three or four clubs, just like you, I, I had to make them do everything. Yeah, and yeah. Really like a savvy. He learned with one club, didn't he? So That's right, yeah. Some creativity yeah. is 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 born out of that. So yeah, but kids do roll up now with lots of gear. I mean, it would be a bit mean on the kids of today to say they all come with a full set. They don't, but they get yeah, into yeah. the kids set if they're into it. Yeah, Absolutely. real good golf equipment is is readily available. No, no, brilliant. It's certainly a lot more accessible, definitely. I know that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the whole industry has changed, but I think it seems a lot more empowering now for juniors to have to have choice, perhaps in, you know, as I say, where, whereas not so recently, they, you know, they didn't tend to really. So um, all, all good in that respect. I think what one of the things that we wanted to learn more about was how sort of the, your entry into coaching as well. And the sort of the, the birth of the of the Tommy Fleetwood Academy as well. Because again, having been there and taken Isaac to the Tommy Fleetwood tour events, there's an abundance of talent. But it'd be great to learn a little bit about the story and how it how it all developed as well. Oh yeah. Well, it's it's a long story, but I'll try to cut some highlights. <laughs> um well I I uh was determined that I'd make it as a tour player and um I was absolutely determined and I trained at Royal Birkdale. I was a one handicap golfer at the age of 16 and, you know, I was going great. I really didn't think there was anybody my age quite as good as me. And in my sphere of experience, I hadn't met them. Obviously there were, but not, not yeah. around me. There was maybe one of the, one of the lads. And I went to Royal Birkdale to train. It wouldn't happen now, but the middle assistant had just lost his tour card. So I got to play with a, recent tour player and I didn't beat him for 18 yeah. months so that was that was great training for me yeah and um I went abroad to play golf and I began to coach and I played uh one time with a guy who was like the number two player in Germany on a really difficult course I shot 70-70 which I think was four under par and he shot 64-64 so I thought wow. I'm uh, 12 shot I'm 12 shots behind after two rounds. If this keeps going, I'm going to be 24 shots behind somebody nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. And that's when I moved uh, more into coaching. Okay. Um, and then uh, I come back to Southport and I built a golf golf uh, business, a golf range with a par three course. I actually developed the par three course because in um, continental Europe, when you join a club, you can't play 
until you've got an effect a license to show that you're competent okay. and in austria it's called a platzreife yeah. some countries call it a green card and um what i found was some short academy courses where people could go learn golf and they could actually get the platzreife and then join a club yeah. the normal way was you paid a fee to join the club but you still couldn't play till you'd pass this test and I came back and built a version of that in Southport. And that's where I first met Tommy, six-year-old Tommy Fleetwood, walked through the door. Quite late one night, and I just went out to pick the baskets up. Got in my way, really, because I was hoping to lock up early. And I uh, <laughs> just saw this kid this kid hitting the balls, and I got speaking to his dad. I said, wow, he's good. And that's how I met Tommy, yeah, 24-odd years ago now. So I suppose that was the 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 birth of my relationship with Tommy and the very first seeds of the, uh, was getting the Tommy Fleetwood Academy off the ground. Fantastic. And what was it, what was the first thing that you noticed about Tommy at that age? Because obviously there's so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you see a lot of kids being able to hit a ball, but I think there's one thing being able to hit a ball and there's a, there's obviously a, a commitment towards proper practice and, and, you know, and, and they're, the behaviour and the mannerisms, was there anything in particular that, that stood out with Tommy at such a young age? Well, there was, and there wasn't.
well to, to meet you in the in-person too. We'd love that. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, Norman. Thank you.